Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the burned gaming bits to my heavy perspex pyramid, Mr. Robert Long. Hello, hello. I can't believe I nailed that in one take. I know. I'm quite impressed with you. It w- I saw that word as I was reading the sentence, and it just it started to fall apart, and I can't believe I pulled it out of the fire. You just you just punch through. You just push through, man. I'm proud of you. I'm proud like of you. Like punchboard, baby. Oh yeah. Little shout out to the Kool Aid guy. <laughs> well, as always, we're going to start off this episode by saying thank you, of course, to our wonderful patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on here at the show, and we appreciate everything you do for us. And we are trying uh, to give you guys all kinds of fun little bits. I think we need to put another one on the calendar, Robert. Yeah, yeah, but not for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you may have noticed that this uh, episode took a smidge longer than normal to get out. Uh, that's because uh, it is. Uh, Life is kind of beating the living snot out of the two of us. Yeah, yeah, it's good times. It's good times. Nothing bad. I don't think anything bad out of either of us, really. It's just, it yeah, is. Yeah, no, no. I mean, all things considered, everything worked out pretty well. Um, had some health issues in the family that I had to go back home to deal with. Uh, but Oh, uh, I say that, and I forgot about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, please. It, it ended up working out okay, so it really wasn't an issue. Just gobbled up a weekend. So when all said and done, I think everything has turned out pretty well. But I've been traveling for four weekends in a row, and you are in the middle of buying a house. And those two things are not conducive to good podcasting. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing. I, I, it didn't even occur to me last episode to mention that I was starting the process of looking for a house because, like, we haven't even we, – we were choosing realtors at the time. And so, but like, this was the series of events. Like the, so we recorded on a Monday that Friday, we met with the uh, realtor that we ended up picking the Wednesday. We went and looked at a house. We put in a bid and by 10 days after we met our realtor, we had won a bid on a house and we're closing like in a week or two, two weeks. Yeah. Let me tell you, everybody should have that kind of an experience. Cause when I bought my current house, it was not that kind of an experience. It sucked. That is nice and quick and to the point and over with. Yeah, no, I, that's what I figured. My last house in Texas, it took us th- three, four and a half months, four and a half months. Yeah, it's not generally a, a, a quick process. No, no. So I, I figured I had plenty of time. I, w- I was just going to mention it. Like, you know, I, I kind of thought vaguely about putting it in the notes, but I'm like, eh, I'll, I'll just mention, you know, I did it with my week because I figured I'd look at some houses by then. I could complain about it in the show. But no, no, I'm done, which means I'm moving like very soon so it's that's gonna throw a whole bunch of wrenches into the works here which is well, a problem. We, we will work around it best we can just uh forgive us a, a little little bit of extra time here and there over the summer as we both kind of calm our lives down um i for one am looking forward to a calm and quiet fall you know you know what the irony is i remember uh when we announced our patreon contest which we will get to in a second i said Whenever we run a contest, we always have a delay on an episode because <laughs> it just always happens that way. Yeah, and didn't didn't I like throw out some hubris and look what happened? Yeah, right? Right. My fault. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I, it was mine too. I brought it up and I laughed, I think. so. But yeah, by the end of July, I should be in the new digs and we should get back to our, our normal thing, at, at least by the end of July. Hopefully, hopefully we can crank another one out maybe i i'm i'm i will we'll see what happens i'm gonna remain optimistic 
but realistic. Yes, that that's a good way to put it. So yes, but all right. But the contest, the contest is over. If you're hearing this, it's over. If you're not a Patreon by now, you should have been. Twenty bucks to drive through RPG. We'll go to somebody. We'll announce their name soon. Probably forty four. Which at the rate things are going, see, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that's gonna take like two months. Like it'll be like like nah. Valve I don't soon. think it'll be that bad. I, I'm gonna go with Valve soon because if we get to Blizzard soon, we might be fine. It's not Valve soon because I mean, <laughs> what what's it been like? Eighteen years since uh, Half Life Two? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you know, I'm only half kidding about that. I feel like it's been more than ten. It, I I believe it has been. I don't I don't think it's gonna happen. Because didn't it come out on the original Xbox late in its life? Uh, and that was already several years after release. I I don't know. I was deep in the throes of uh, World of Warcraft for the better part of half a decade or longer. Oh my gosh! It has been ten. Oh no, no. Ninety eight was Half Life. The original Half-Life. 2004. 2004. So it's been 14 years. Wow, I did nail it. It was. It really has been four, It's 14 years since Half-Life 2. Wow. <sighs> We're old, Jonathan. Yeah, no kidding, man. Like, think of that. You could have had a baby the year Half-Life 2 comes out and have a teenager right now. Think about it. Carlos wouldn't have been born for, like, what, another four, three, four years when that game came uh, out? Coming up on just shy of three. Just shy of three years. Yeah, yeah. Like, he has no concept of that game. And anyway, we're not a video game podcast, John. <laughs> no, no, we're not. But as always, let's go ahead and kick off this show with Off the Shelf. And in the Off the Shelf segment, we, of course, take a look at all the cool stuff that we've gotten off our shelves and into our hearts. And we're going to start out with Robert. Yes. Tell me about uh, movies and TV. I see you uh, finally saw the big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took a little while, but oh God, this feels like so long ago. <laughs> Because it was, it was like I saw it the if, for, for Thursday. I saw it the Thursday after we recorded. Uh, I, I finally saw Avengers: Infinity War. Um, yeah, I, I dug it. I I I try I, I try not to repeat my experience with Black Panther and uh, go in there with too high of expectations. And unfortunately, by that point, I had had large parts of the movie spoiled. You know, because you could not escape the disintegration memes. Like you just can't. Yeah, yeah. But uh, overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fascinating choice that the main character in that movie who had the main narrative arc was thanos himself that was fascinating i you very rarely see movies do that i found him to be an extremely compelling villain because they they did quite a good job of humanizing him enough that you can see his point of view regardless of how uh what's the word i'm looking for Yes, all those would have worked. Uh, I also would have gone with uh genocidal yeah yeah i would have accepted genocidal yeah yeah it was really well done. Like, yeah, Thanos, I, I just, his character was so compelling the way they wrote him. And, and villains very rarely are compelling where you, you want to, like, know more about them and, like, they have actual anguish and you're, you know, like, like, Home Skillet Cry is in that movie and you buy it. You know, it's like, this, this is real tears. This is real emoting out of that, out of that. Well, and, and credit to Josh Brolin for his mocap and his uh, voice performance in that because he really does bring Thanos alive in, in really positive ways. Yeah, completely agreed. I didn't write this down, but uh, I, I've also now seen the finales of... Uh, actually, I haven't seen the finale of Supergirl because that's airing tomorrow. But uh, uh, I've seen the finale of Flash, and that was that was interesting. Like, their their new season, What a Twist, was kind of fun. And uh, I'm literally a season behind at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, that show's been going downhill. But <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they can pull it out. Arrow started pulling out of the dive in season five, so hopefully they can follow suit. Yeah, they really did, and which is interesting because season four was a real low point for Arrow as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, 
I'd, I'd like to pretend that season four didn't happen. It was that bad. I don't even remember what happened in season four of Arrow, to be quite blunt. That's better for your soul. Like, <laughs> that, I think that is your brain trying to protect you from the pain. Wow. That's a natural, completely natural uh, way to react to that. Harsh. I mean, I got a feeling I watched so much other stuff because it's been... When was the last time we recorded? It's been like, what, three or four weeks? Has it been a month? I can't even remember. I don't know. It's been too long, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was long enough that I forgot how much fun I, I have podcasting. I, I got that reignited in me the other day because uh, Gina and I finally recorded uh, the, the Dragon Quest one, although I don't know when I'm going to have the time to edit it, but, you know, no promises on that one either. But, uh, yeah, like I I had forgot, like I, I, I was doing that. I'm like, man, this is fun. I forgot. I had forgotten why I like doing this. That's how, yeah. that's how long it had uh, been. I'm kind of in the same boat. I feel refreshed. <laughs> By the way, I, I just want to say out loud, I am so tired. I am so tired. So, oh man, me too. Oh, oh no, no, no. This is the be- This is the most Portland story ever. Are you ready for this? <laughs> All right, fire away. So I'm sleeping last night. Go to bed. Uh, it's it's hot in Portland or Portland hot, which is like 80, 90 degrees. But a lot of pl- my place included does not have air conditioning. So you know, I was sleeping with the window open. So I'm sleeping, and as I'm sleeping, I'm slowly becoming more aware that I'm smelling something I really should not be smelling. And I don't know if it infiltrated my dreams or not. I do not recall. But I like smelled something burning and I woke with a start when I was like, oh, my God, is my house on fire? So I kind of sat up in bed and I inhaled because smoke inhalation is uh, not a way that you can die. In this case, it wasn't because what I realized what I was smelling was the acrid burning stench of weed. One of my neighbors was just smoking all of the weed on their balcony, like so much of it. And because I had my window open and the fan was blowing air in because, you know, cold air in. My room was like so hot boxed with weed. It was, it was, I'm surprised I was able to get out of bed. It was bad. It was bad. So I had, <laughs> did you eat yourself through the, through the downstairs? <laughs> no, no. I grumbled and then I got up and I turned the fan around to blow air out because I was like, maybe we can blow this skunky stank out of here. And it worked. You no, know, that's not how any of that works. It, right? it worked actually. It worked pretty well after a few minutes, but by then I'd woken up enough that I had problems getting back to sleep and I, I yeah, I'm I'm just messed up from it. Well I, I got you one better. I was actually on the return leg from a trip to Origins. Uh and let me tell you, not only was my plane twenty five minutes late uh leaving Ohio but then my connecting flight, I was freaking out thinking I wasn't going to make it because I only had 35 minutes between flights. Mm-hmm. I land and I just book it down the terminal. I mean, I'm just hustling. And I finally get down to the terminal and look up at the board. My connecting flight is 35 minutes late. I've never been so happy to see a late plane in my life. <laughs> the downside is I did not walk into my house until 2.30 this morning and I started working around. Well, I, I, the, the kids woke me up because they missed me. Uh, at about six in the morning. So, yeah, I'm hurting, man. I'm hurting. I'm yeah, feeling you. I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least you didn't wake up to weed funk. And not even weed that you're having. It's somebody else is having and enjoying, and you just got to be annoyed by it. Oh, <sighs> I'm so sorry. Port- Portland stoners, damn it. <sighs> All right. Well, so, you know, part of part of me being gone for four weekends in a row is that I've been on a lot of airplanes lately, Robert. Mm-hmm. Which means I've had a chance to actually watch some movies. Oh, do tell. Uh, rewatched Spider-Man: Homecoming and Blade, uh, and uh, rewatched Black Panther. Enjoyed the living daylights out of both of those. The, both those two movies just have such great heart, and I really just enjoy them. And great villains too. 
great, you know, better than your average Marvel fare. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Can't really add to that. They're great movies. You should, if you haven't seen them, why? Can I just say what a weird arc for Michael Keaton? He was Batman, then he was Birdman, and then he was Vulture. Seems legit. I'll yeah, allow it. But it's just it's like a really weird arc, right? Like if you're him, you're just sitting back and you're looking back on your career and you're just like, man, that's a that's that's like a lot of dudes with capes. Like, what's going on here? Well, Vulture always had the wing thing, so it's only two. Well, but think about it, man. He was a superhero, then he kind of parodied that. And then he went into the villain range. But he played the best kind of villain because he was the villain that thought he was right. Yes, yes. Which, you know, we can apply to Thanos, and we can, which we can apply to Killmonger as well. That's part of what makes them so effective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So tell me about movies that you haven't seen before. Cause... Uh, all right, so... Um, Holy crap, that list is long. <laughs> I told, I've been on... I, I've literally been traveling four weekends in a row. Okay. So I've, I've spent a, a disproportionate amount of time on airplanes. So um, I watched Shape of Water. Uh-huh. Let me tell you, the first time I started watching it, didn't realize it was an R rating. Just kind of figured it was going to be PG-13. I don't know. You know, it was an Oscar winner. I just didn't think it was going to be R, right? So I sit down and I start watching this sucker on a plane. And the lady to my right, she's do- looking at some paperwork. And I just happen to notice she is a preacher at a church. And so I'm sitting there watching uh, Shape of Water. And within the first 10 minutes, full frontal nudity. And some lady's taking care of herself in the bathtub. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I'm like trying to angle the iPad away. And then I realized that the people across the aisle are now seeing the iPad. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm just going to be that guy on the news that somebody's freaking out because he's a pervert on the plane. So I just shut it off and I ended up watching it in my uh, hotel room. (laughs) It was just it was really one of those kind of awkward social moments where I'm like, ah, there's no way I could explain this way. I'm just going to go ahead and turn it off. And, And regarding that movie, number one, what a lovely movie. What a great fairy tale. But number two. Did not see that level of sexuality coming from a movie like that. Just genuinely, you know, wasn't expecting it. So, so when do you get to officially call yourself a creeper? I'm just curious. I don't know. I figure I got at least five, ten more years. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you got to get your glassy stare down because that really helps when you're a creeper. Just so I've, yeah. Just don't go right, there, Jonathan. I'll, we're, I'll, I'm going to have an intervention. Agenda to work on. No, no, no. We're, we're going to have an intervention. There's, there's enough nerdy creepers out there. We don't need more. No, no. I'm, I'm quite pleased that I'm not a creeper. <laughs> I watched Blade Runner 2049. Nice. So good. Oh my God. Did you see the preview for uh, Cyberpunk 2077 that they released at E3? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how to explain how excited I am about that. I mean, I've always been a big Cyberpunk fan and it's always kind of sucked because Cyberpunk's never really kind of taken off in the mainstream. That's true. You know, we we got Shadowrun, but it kind of always was kind of in the corner. Uh, we got well. Uh, you got Blade Bright. Runner. Speaking of Blade Runner, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and talk about being in the corner, right? Right. So um, I'm really excited that it's getting the the full treatment because CD Projekt Red is so good. Oh, uh, I can't wait! I can't wait. You know what's interesting about that game? They 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 said, and this is on on record now, that it is not like cyberpunk our world in 2077. No, it is the cyberpunk world. Flash forward from uh, 2030X, which was the last time they did a did a, a, a set date for a Cyberpunk 3.0, to their year of 2077. So, yes, this is the future of the setting that was, you know, they didn't understand that Wi-Fi internet would exist. So they thought there would be like little weird internet kiosks on every corner and all that weird anachronistic stuff. 
it's the future of that world in 2077. So it is a, uh, a parallel universe, if you will. Because you I th- know, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm going to pull a K2SO. It's the size of the files. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I haven't seen Solo. I, it's that's not from Solo. That's from Rogue One. And oh uh, yeah, uh-huh. just completely lost your nerd cred. You're done. What? I watched nope. Rogue One Shh. once. I, I've never claimed to be a Star Wars nerd. Now don't you cry. Jo- Jonathan, okay, I will go on record here. I'm not a Star Wars nerd. I, I am a Star Trek nerd. I am on the Trek Wars debate. I'm on the Trek side, so thank you. Well, you also just completely missed my, of all things, Queensryche? I woke up to the stank of wee last night, man. Give me some credit. Just sounds like the intro to a hip-hop song. Maybe. I can see that. Up to the stank of weed. Yeah, I, I got I don't nothing. I know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I'm please. delirious at this point. Yeah, Mar- American Made. Go to American Made. Was this another Awkward Flight movie? No, uh, that one actually was okay. It was a solid PG-13, and it didn't cross the border and R. Okay. Uh, American Made, of course, is the tale of um, a, a guy, Barry Seal, and I think his name was Barry. Anyway, Seal, definitely his last name. Confident on that one. Did he uh, get a kiss from the rose? No. But he does become uh, go from being a pilot for TWA, a now defunct airline, and um, starts flying flights uh, for the Contras in Central America, and then starts uh, moving huge amounts of drugs over the border. That's uh, right. That's the, the one with the Tom Cruise. Did he sprint? Yes. Did he sprint? It's a Tom Cruise movie, Robert. Do you even have to ask that There question? are a handful of movies where Tom Cruise doesn't sprint, and I was thinking maybe the one where he's a drug-running pilot might be one of them. I'm just asking. Drug-running, Robert. Drug-running. Uh, uh, oh, I got out-punned. Okay, very There's good. There's quite a, quite a literal moment in that movie. <laughs> well, regarding American Made, um, it's from Doug Lehman, who directed Cruise in Edge of Tomorrow, which I thought was a brilliant movie. I can't figure it out, man. Like, the movie felt a little slow, but in retrospect, I don't know how they could have picked up the pace anymore, which is not to say that it wasn't engaging and interesting, because it was. Uh, also, Tom Cruise never, ever should try a Southern United States accent again. In fact, he just shouldn't ever try an accent again, because every time he tries an accent, the world cries a little bit, and we all lose a piece of our soul. <laughs> nice. You know what? His, his Southern accent in, what was it, the first Mission Impossible was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, to the point where I don't think it was a southern accent that he was trying. It was just that bad. Yeah. Moving on, uh, War of the Planet of the Apes, absolutely brilliant. What an amazing way to end that trilogy. And if you had told me 10 years ago that we would have a trilogy of not just good, but non-campy, relevant Planet of the Apes movies that pushed the social discussion and brought social problems out of the darkness and into the light in a unique and interesting way, I would not have believed you. That trilogy is doing so much on so many levels, and there is so much social commentary there. It really is just a a, a work of magnificence and art, and the technology on display to bring those characters to life is just jaw-dropping. And the fact that Andy Serkis hasn't received any oscar love for those performances is just an absolute injustice of the worst degree you know i'm actually a fan of the original planet of the apes movies i think the first three are I am too. quite good actually the four, first four the first four i'll go that far the fifth one can die in a fire but the first four were quite good no i i agree and actually interestingly enough these tie directly into that in the very very first planet of the apes uh of the the new movies mm-hmm. there's a moment where um if you pay attention to the television they tell you about the ship uh, launching and then a little bit later in the movie uh there's another news broadcast where they talk about how they've lost contact with it mm-hmm. 
It is a direct sequel. And in fact, this particular one, the third one, sets up a bunch of stuff for the uh, first Planet of the Apes movie. The original, original. Interesting. Well, I guess the time loop hasn't happened yet. No, no. But you do meet Cornelius. So this is this is timeline A. Interesting. I like it. Timeline A. And then we move into timeline B with the uh, the original movie. Temporal mechanics are strange. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it loops well. They've done a very good job of constructing a loop. And let me just tell you, Woody Harrelson, didn't know you had it in you, buddy. He was pretty good in the Hunger Games. I watched those. Those were fun. I have not watched those. I, I just I watched the first one. Uh, it was just so ludicrous, I and mean, it was just it was totally jumping a shark. I just couldn't get into it. No, I don't know. I liked it. It was fun. It was a step too far. Just a step too far. <laughs> so, what's the darkest hour? I've never heard of that one. Okay, darkest hour was another Oscar name uh, nominated film, and darkest hour is about uh, Winston Churchill's uh, acceptance as prime minister. Uh, just before the outbreak of, of uh, World War II. Oh, about, yeah, I, guess that would be I remember. Two, three weeks before the Dunkirk yeah. rescue. Then it, it's, it's basically leading up to and then the, the days of the Dunkirk evacuation. So that it, it's that very condensed time period of Churchill and how he became the leader of Great Britain and Gary Oldman under a metric ton of makeup, almost unrecognizable, including... And this is what Gary Oldman's so good at, right? Like, look look at his career. He's he's so good at voices, right? When you add all that makeup on top of him, you don't know he's there. Gary Oldman is, is the chameleon of all chameleons. That man is just a, an amazing acting talent. I, I've been I've been on my my reading the, the third different version of Dracula that I own. I, I watched a BBC production of Dracula that they did in like 2006 or something like that. And Dracula in that was just, you know, the way that they portrayed him, you know, they were obviously trying not to do the Bram Stoker uh, Coppola version of it. But I was just thinking, like, Gary Oldman nails Dracula in that one so hard. Oh, the longing and the anger? The Well, we'll take out that whole subplot about loving Mina because that's horseshit. That wasn't in the book. But I'm just saying the, the first sequence with Jonathan where, you know, he's like, welcome to my home, enter of your free will, blah, blah, blah. And just how, like, oddly affable dracula actually is because he's you know he's he's got a charisma about him even if he does look like a weirdo no but i i mean longing in a very generalized sense i mean you know he he longs for a different track i guess you could say the only thing that they messed up in that film is they quite explicitly say that he has a very long mustache in (laughs) in the book and that was like the only thing they didn't do and i i but yeah i was watching this version of dracula i'm like this guy sucks like gary oldman just nails it because that dracula was just screaming like like, if I walked in on that, it'd be like, yeah, that guy's totally going to murder me at some point. Like, that that's just going to happen. Whereas, you know, uh, the Gary Oldman one, like, at least it starts with, like, much like it does in the book, where it's like, is this guy going to murder me? And that's like, no, nah, he's okay. He's just kind of a reclusive, rich weirdo. And it's like, no, he's actually going to murder me. <laughs> but there's that kind of, like, that shift. You need that shift with Dracula. That that initial, like, uh, and it's like, ah, oh, he's okay. And it's like, no, he's way not okay. Way not okay. You know, when you, you consider that that movie came out in 92, it really is uh, pretty ahead of its time. It, it, that feels like something that would be coming out now, given the current uh, turn towards the grimdark. Yeah, and the sort of anti-effects of it, because, you know, they they purposely went with a lot of vaudeville and, like, old-timey stage tricks to, to make the a lot of the special effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it would be like a you know a reaction to all the CG and stuff. I could see that now. You know, like, yeah, it, 
And hopefully, if they made it now, they wouldn't cast Keanu Reeves as, as Jonathan Harker because I yeah that was a that was a, yeah yeah hurt a little bit yeah I, and I mean the weak link after that is also Winona Ryder as Mina, but you know no, but just, you can't get past the Keanu. Yeah, bad. yeah, Mina, it's Mina, just really bad. Mina, Mina's not terribly much better, but everybody else in that movie, that movie was excellently cast. Other than that, and it's one of the few movies. Yeah, but in the mid nineties, I mean, like Winona Ryder, she'll always have a piece of my heart. So I was able to overlook that. You're a few years Keanu. older than me, so maybe I, I was just at the wrong age to fall in love with her. Oh yeah, no, deeply, madly in love. <laughs> Moving on. Hey, real quick, uh, if you love vampire movies, uh, go check out Shadow of the Vampire with Willem Dafoe uh, playing the actor that played Nosferatu in 1922. Yeah, yeah, that, that movie Count Orlick. is a complete mind twist. So good. Just a little little something uh, out of uh, obscurity, uh, ob- obscure movies. Uh, that, that one is well worth your time. Go check it out. Agreed. Uh, and then finally, finally, Annihilation, which is from the uh, writer-director Alex Garland, who, of course, did Ex Machina, which is one of my most favorite films of the last few years. And Annihilation was also incredible. It, to me, felt like a modern 2001 space odyssey with a slightly more coherent plot. From what I've read, it sounds like a very good description of a reality bleed, if you know what that is. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely that is. Okay, so so imagine, you know, there's universes and parallel universes out there, people. You know, parallel universes, it's a big, it's a, it's a thing in nerddom, right? Well, the idea of a reality bleed is sometimes reality gets cut and another reality starts bleeding into it. And uh, the barrier and the, all of that stuff is, is one set of reality mechanics uh, intersecting with our reality mechanics and that zone in that book and uh, movie are what you get when those two things converge. Yeah, it, it, it's striking visually. It is extremely well acted. Yeah, uh, that, that movie has it going on. And one of the most interesting choices they make is it's a rescue movie with an almost complete female cast. Yeah, yeah. The only dude is... Uh, uh, the guy who they're trying to rescue. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which uh, I really enjoyed. It gives it a different. Uh, it gives it a different spin. The characters are interesting because they're they're characters that are put into a position that you're not used to seeing female leads in. Not not exclusively like that. Uh-huh. And the conversations they have are different, and the way they treat each other is different. And it was it was refreshing and interesting. Nice. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I still need to see it. Yeah, it's worth a shot, man. I think you're going to like it. I really do. Yeah, I, I figure it'll be streaming somewhere eventually. All right, well, that gets us through movies and TVs. Let's go ahead and take a quick trip through video games, shall we? Yeah, uh, for me, nothing new. Uh, I, Destiny 2. Uh, Stop it! <laughs> yeah. Sorry, uh, I, I sneezed a little bit. Uh, uh, I noticed my girl was playing uh, Lucio Ball on Overwatch and really enjoying it, so I, I, I was like, why don't we play Rocket League together? So we played Rocket League together a couple times, but that only happened That's a so couple times. Fun. It's stupid fun. Yeah, yeah, we need to do that again, actually, come to think of it. I'm glad this list is here reminding me. I, I tried out Fortnite. Uh, my my daughter, actually, of all people, got really into it. I just couldn't. You know, and I, I told you what it was that like broke my immersion on that game, where I just couldn't deal with it. But it's the... I, I like the notion that you have to build stuff as part of that game, but the fact that I would see these like staircases to nowhere and all these like constructions that like were chaotic and weird, uh, it made that SimCityan player in me mad. And uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it like it I it took me out of the game and I was just like that staircase doesn't go anywhere why don't you make a wall and yeah I I, I couldn't deal with it but I'm yeah, aware like that the staircase is basically a, a portable line of fire 
with cover. Yeah. Uh, that, that's why people build them to nowhere. I, I know. I, I get it. Don't get me wrong. I get why it's there. It just bugs me that it is because you're, you're, you take apart actual houses. It's like, yes, take apart this actual house and stuff and build a new fort with it. I think I would like the, the gameplay you currently have to pay for better where you're uh, building a fort versus zombies and you have to last for 14 days. That sounds interesting. But yeah, the PvP started driving me slowly insane just with staircases to nowhere. And I know it's stupid. Do not get me wrong, gentle listener. I'm well aware of how dumb that is. However, it still bugged me. And if you, if it doesn't bug you, good on you. Like, have fun. I You're you're better person than I because you don't have a weird hang-up. Well, I'm sorry that Fortnite's not catching you. I really enjoy it. I've been playing a lot of that lately as well. I, I get why people like it. And, and that's the thing, too, that the learning curve on the game is brutal. It's brutal. Yeah, it, it is. It, it really helps if you have somebody kind of showing you what to do. Because I was lucky. A buddy of mine took me in, and he spent about two hours playing matches with me and, and kind of taught me the basics. And then I got it. And then I got it. Yeah, but not understanding a lick of what's going on your first couple of games, and then you just get oh, yeah, shotgun rough, in the man. back. It's absolutely rough. I, I told you. I downloaded it, tried it, hated it, despised it, didn't understand it. And then the only reason I went back in is because Carlos wanted to play it, and I couldn't remember if it was um, if it was too violent or, or not. So I actually um, reinstalled it and started playing it again just to, to test it for the kids because the kids were talking about it. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did because I'm a lot of fun with it. You're better. You're a better person than I. And I closed my eyes there to kind of talk, and I felt myself starting to drift off. That's kind of creepy. All right. Well, let's keep on. <laughs> Well, in terms of uh, uh, video games, the only new thing I got was uh, Forza 7 was on uh, Stupid Sale on the Xbox Store. So I got it because I can play it on my PC and my Xbox. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, it's beautiful, and it's more Forza, and that's about all I can say about it. Enough said. Nothing new there. It's just a really darn good racing game with uh, an excellent physics engine. I like arcade racers. Uh, I'm a sim guy. Yeah. I'm a total sim guy. I, I, I mean, look what I like. I like DCS, right? I, I really liked the original Gran Turismo and then I tried to get into the sequel and I couldn't turn off tire wear and for some reason like not just being able to skid to my heart's content which is what I really enjoyed about the first one doing the the Tokyo drifting or whatever yeah that that just kind of didn't do it for me (laughs) that's when I lost interest find me a game like that like if Gran Turismo if you could turn off tire wear I think I think I'd enjoy it go play Forza Horizon oh they do that's exactly what it is oh well I don't have an X-Bone so oh well it's time Robert it's time. Uh, I, I, yeah, my gaming budget is so small right now. I don't even have the ability. So. I know. I'm just saying, you know, maybe that's something you can just kind of start to squeeze into the corner. Just start pulling Dude, it up uh, now. Uh, Microsoft and PlayStation both kind of semi-announced the next consoles. They both said they're working on something over E3. So it's like, oh, I, well, we all know that. I mean, yeah, Xbox One's been around how long now? Uh, uh, six years? Uh, I don't think it's been quite that long. 2013, five years. Five years, okay. November, so, not, 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 not quite five years. It's, it's almost five years. November of 2013. That's already a good cycle. Nah, that's true. I mean, what? And you figure we got at least a year before they announce it, probably E3 of next year announce. And they'll be at that Christmas. And then another year before they release. Maybe. So yeah, we got another two years. So that's a seven-year cycle. I, I can live with that. But now's a great time, man. Because if you buy it now, yeah, you pay for the console, but you can go get all the, the first five years worth of games for dirt cheap. Yeah, on various sales. I know, I know, I know. I just I put down my money on Dragon Quest Eleven, and I, I'm I, I'm kind of out for a bit because that that was Fair my amount. I understand. Yeah, I got to save money for the the Black Friday sale, Jonathan. The Black Friday sale is always the best. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Well, that gives us through video games. So let's go ahead and move on. Uh, let's touch on reading super quick. 
Okay. You're still working through Legacy of Shadow. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, cur- and you're enjoying it so much that you were complaining about coming to record because you wanted to keep listening. Yeah, curse that book. <laughs> that, well, hey, that is an excellent... That That is the best... The absolute best recommendation that somebody can give. Uh, I didn't want to stop. Yeah. Oh that, god. That it's, doesn't get any better than that. So so like the 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 they set up the finale and then the finale starts. And it was it reminded me a, a lot of my experience with the first season of Arrow where, you know, like they do this episode and then they do another episode. It's like, oh well the next episode should be the season finale. And then you're like, No, there's eight more left. And it was like so they set up the finale and they start going to the finale. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. This should almost be done. And it's like, No, there's still four hours left in this book. And it's like, What? This book was sixteen hours long and there's four hours left. What could they possibly do in the finale? And it just keeps rolling and rolling and you think you would get exhausted. You know, but it's like that first season of Arrow. It just keeps going and 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 it's like it ratchets it up and it ratchets it up and it ratchets it up. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's no good place to stop. Give me a good place to stop. And there's just not. I just kind of stopped in the middle of things. And and part of me hated you for making me do it, Jonathan. <laughs> it's OK. I hate me a lot, too, sometimes. <laughs> That's harsh. All right. That's harsh. Do you need a friend? Do you need a hug? Oh no, I'm I kid, I kid. Okay. I oh myself. my gosh. And I love you. That's oh, that was that was that was, that hurt my heart. That wounded my heart. It's okay. We're going to make it through this together. <laughs> that's what we do. We're partners. As mentioned, I'm still working through the undead. I just forget to read analog books and they don't have a PDF of that one and I'm kind of a PDF reader. And then my my physical copy of Fall of Delta Green, the gumshoe version came in and that has been fun to flip through because it's an interesting conglomeration of things because the book itself is, you know, the 60s and 70s of, you know, spycraft. So the book looks like art-wise, like a book that's from the 60s or 70s, but obviously it's using modern printing stuff, and so it's kind of anachronistic, and it's kind of fun to flip through because of that. Well, there you go. Yep, yep, yep. What have you been reading? Uh, well, I forgot uh, to download Legacy of Shadow before I left, and I was kicking myself for doing it. Um, but then I reached into my uh, backpack, and I realized I did have a book in my backpack. So I reached into my bag, and I pulled out Norse Mythology from Neil Gaiman, which was an exciting find. I'd forgotten that I'd put it in my bag quite some time ago, so I've been reading through that. Having studied the Norse myth mythos before, I can definitely say this is not a uh, 100% accurate tale. That said, it's heavily rooted in real in the real myths, and it's uh, interesting because it ties them all together in a much more coherent narrative, and it's quite good in that respect. I'm really enjoying it. And Neil Gaiman, you know, Gaiman Gaiman, I don't know what he is. Either way, he is a fantastic writer. So he, it's just a pleasure to read. Yeah, you know, myths are just the stories that a society tells itself about society. It's holding a mirror up to itself. So if he's making the narrative better and whatnot for our modern ears, then it's, you know, better telling you about, for us, how Nordic life was, which is good. Did I inhale too much of that weed? I think so. Okay. Maybe. Just a smidge. Okay. I mean, is the guy smoking outside your window again? No, but I'm afraid because it's it's hot up here, and I'm gonna have to do it again tonight, and I don't want to wake up. You've got and... uh, retroactive existential weed? <laughs> Maybe. Ugh. <laughs> I do record in the bedroom. That's where it was. Maybe there's just ambientness in here. Well, it's time to move on a little bit, to, and we're gonna move to, towards kind of our, our our core wheelhouse, and it's time to talk about some of the board games I've been playing and. I had almost a goose egg, Robert. Hey, 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 last... hey. I play an RPG, son. Oh, you did, didn't you? I didn't even see that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. One night, me and the girl were super duper bored, and I was trying to think of an RPG I could play with her because we couldn't get the D&D stuff together uh, because uh, there there was a lot of overtime going around. And so, but I'm like, wait a minute, you know what we could totally play? We could play A Quiet Year because all we need is a deck of cards and it's just telling stories. 
And so that's what we did. And we had to go on a madcap quest to go find a deck of cards. Who knew it was hard to find a deck of cards in Portland? I had to drive to, well, actually to the first drugstore I could think of. But they didn't have yeah, I was them. going to say, do you not have a drugstore? Not in walking distance. I walked to a grocery store and I, and I found where those like cards should be, but they were just not there. And I'm like, this is just the story of this grocery store. Every time I go there for something slightly obscure, they never have it. Like the night I needed super glue and they didn't have it. <laughs> I don't even know what to make of that. Yeah, I know it's it's a it's it's a it's a it's a grocery store, but it's kind of small, and they just don't have like they have all of the good mainstream stuff. But man, the second you sort of veer off to left field, it just sucks. So the way One Quiet Year works is you get a deck of cards and you break up the suits, and I forget which suit goes where, but you basically shuffle up all the suits, and every time you pull a card, you get sort of a narrative choice to make about your town. And you know, in the beginning, it's something like. You know, you somebody discovers something new or, you know, blah. I, I forget some examples because I'm tired. And it's actually been a qu- kind of a bit. And then you can, like, start projects to sort of try to overcome obstacles that your town faces and yada, yada, yada. And then the game ends when you pull the king of whatever the last suit is and the, you know, the winter howlers or whatever show up. And that's when the game ends. And it's, you know, you're basically supposed to tell a story about a town that you sort of invent And, you know, you can make up characters that live there to fulfill certain narrative things, or you can just, you know, a lot of people play it with, like, sort of the groups, the power players in town. But yeah, no, it was a fun little thing. We, you know, me me and uh, my wife actually ended up joining us because by the time we got the deck of cards, she was done, you know, working. And and, uh, yeah, we we played this game and we invented a, a little town called Eagle's Nest. It was a fantasy town in a fantasy setting, and uh, the the younglings, uh, which was my my thing, I was pushing for. They started uh, they started capturing and training giant eagles to go deal with the mountain folk that they didn't like. And yeah, it was a good time. And then uh, later the next day, uh, Eowyn actually wrote a because she likes writing and illustrating stories. And so she she got some paper together and wrote and illustrated a story about Eagle's Nest. And I'm like, look at this wellspring of creativity that we have wrought. Ah! So nice, yeah, nice. Yeah, it's it's a cute little game. It's it's a couple of bucks uh, on Drive Through RPG. If you can, uh, my local shop actually has it in print, and you can just get stuff if if your shop is into indie games like that. But yeah, it's worth checking out. It's not so much a role playing game. It's more like kind of a social storytelling game. I've talked to you off and on about doing like a let's play of that for an episode. I really want to. You know, I told you that. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe we'll get together and do that. Because that, that would be a, a perfect excuse to have your buddy on, too, because we could use more players during it. I'm just trying to figure out how we'd pass out cards <laughs> across time and space. I'm sure we can figure something out. Anyway, there we go. That is my role-playing game, sir. Tell me about your board games. Uh, all right. Well, board games. This is uh, quite the list. So brace yourself, because I was at a convention, and I had some time to uh, sit down and play a bunch of stuff. All so, right. First of all, I um, uh, they had a stupid good deal at the convention, so I picked up uh, three starter decks, one for myself and one for my two eldest children, uh, of a game called Lightseekers. This is a uh, collectible card game from Tomo, and it's a very simple gameplay engine, and a lot of the difficulty and variety comes from the cards themselves, which is why you're encouraged to get booster packs. And the way it works is you have a deck of 30 cards. Um, they are a combination of offense and defense cards that you get to uh, program yourself um, because there are w- there's a wealth of different cards in the system, but you're only allowed to take up to 30, which can include doubles because you can get up to three of any given card in there. Uh, you also have five cards that are called combo cards, and these are cards that require a much larger... Um, 
a much larger use of the um, basic economy of the game, which is what elements that you can control as your character. Mm-hmm. And all the characters can control different combinations of these elements. And there's even super rare characters that can combine more than one type of energy. So uh, there's six different types of energy. They're all broken out by color. And some of them can actually tap into two of them, which is kind of neat, and lets you make a uh, mixed deck. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's very entertaining. The deck building is um, very good. I really like the deck building. Plays super quick, really easy to learn, and both of the elders liked it. So we are uh, we're playing some Light Seekers. Nice. At the show, I played a game called Prowler's Passage. This is from Renegade Games, and this was a neat, neat game. You've got tiles. Uh, there are more tiles than you need in the uh, in the box. So every time you lay out the map, the map is going to be a little bit different. Each tile is divided, they're hexes, and they're divided into three sections showing off a different district of a city. And once you put it all together, you have all these districts which are color-coded. You then have uh, a selection of um, little lengths which represent a passage that you are digging underneath the city so that you can steal things. Okay. And there's also achievements uh, that give you victory points. And the basic function is you put down a section of your passage that lets you steal a component. It's a bit of set collection in that respect. But at the same time, there are uh, three achievements every game, and there's a huge deck of achievements. So there's another way that you get variety. And you are basically trying to create passages that satisfy these achievements while simultaneously trying to um, steal these special statues and create set collection. And the whole thing has an influence track. That has a back and forth pull because once you put down a section of your uh, tunnel, you get to choose one of the districts adjacent to that tunnel and you get to influence it towards yourself or and away from your opponent uh, or they can pull it back towards them and away from you. Everything starts in a neutral position and so you're basically battling back and forth for these six districts which give you a huge point bonus at the end of the game. Hmm, okay. Super simple to play. And yet, extremely deep and extremely thinky, and I really enjoyed it. Nice. Played some more Star Wars Destiny. Lots of good stuff there. Uh, we played another couple rounds of draft. Uh, I absolutely got the worst deck. It was just dumb. Um, I just had really bad pulls, and I just it wasn't coming together for me. This next one I'm kind of interested in, because uh, they advertise this all the time on uh, the Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. So tell me about Witches of the Revolution. Oh, do they really? Yeah, yeah. Well, Atlas Games is one of their major sponsors. So, yeah. Anytime Atlas has a new game, they they pump it quite heavily on that show. Well, um, I actually sat down and I talked to the designer. Ooh. And uh, super, super nice guy. Um, M, his name is Michael, but he goes by M. Craig Stockwell. So he just goes by Craig, and he has always, apparently. Witches of the Revolution is a, a game that borrows a lot of ideas from the legendary deck builders. Mm-hmm. But it is fully cooperative, and it's got some some neat theming on it, too. Basically, it's the American Revolution, and um, terrible things are happening that might kill liberty. And you you play a coven of witches that is trying to uh, help liberty grow. Liberty being a tangible, magical force in this universe. No, liberty being the birth of the nation. Right, right, right. So it takes a bunch of weird historical moments, and you're basically battling over these moments and trying to take control of them. Uh, while uh, fighting these basically what are called, ev- I think they're called event cards in the in the game. Mm-hmm. And the event cards, uh, it's funny 
Because my buddy Will and I, and actually, hey, shout out to Will Faust uh, from Top Shelf Fun. I met up with him at the show and spent a bunch of time with him, and that was super fun. And we were both saying to ourselves after about five or six rounds, we were like, hey, look at this. We're, we're, we're doing great. You know, we haven't had any issues. I think this game might actually be a little too easy. And then the game proceeded to pandemic us and in three rounds destroy us. <laughs> As well as so should. I like that. I like that it can be mean like that. Good. Um, Good. There's some really interesting systems at work in it. I, I quite enjoyed it. I think it's a really fantastic cooperative deck builder. Nice. Yeah, I've been kind of curious about it. Sounds fun. Raids. Tell me about raids. Is this A, a game about uh, giant dungeons with 40 players a la World of Warcraft? B, no. a sort of a tactical movement by, uh, you know, I, I want to say, no. lo- say lawgivers, but that's that's a no. stupid Planet of the Apes thing. God, I'm tired. Okay, so is it C, about bug spray? None of the above. Oh. It is D, Vikings. Um, and now you know why I bought it. There you go. Imagine Takanoko, where you're going on this nice little voyage, right? And you know in Takanoko how you're basically just hopscotching each other and, and going on a pleasant voyage and you're painting some nice paintings and stuff like that? I've never played that game. I will take your word for it. In raids, it takes that same basic uh, um, idea of moving from place to place and doing something and um, gives it maximum aggression because you're Vikings and you destroy everything in your path. Mm, makes sense. Makes sense. So I really, really enjoyed it. Because by making it uh, making it aggressive, you um, you you introduce a lot of player versus player mechanic, or pardon me, dynamic, and it makes for a very entertaining and interesting um, fight. One of the things that happens is as you travel aboard along, you you have a longship in front of you, and that's your ship. And your longship has a number of shields on it, and you start with some Vikings on that ship. And as you're cruising along, you can get more Vikings. But here's where it gets interesting. You do not get to take what you um, take the goods that you land on until the beginning of your next turn. And why that's important is because somebody else can come up behind you and challenge you for that space <laughs> using the Vikings on their ship. <laughs> nice. Completely screwing up your, your plan. So it becomes a, a bit of a math game there because the way combat works is the aggressor puts a Viking out. Then if you want, you can flee. And it just costs the aggressor one Viking, and you can just move on to a different space, and, and that's that's your turn, right? Or, if you want, you can toss out two Vikings and say, no, uh, this is my space. And then the other guy can toss out three Vikings and say, no, this is my space. And you go back and forth until somebody dies. Nice. Uh, you basically do four laps around the world, uh, and you're raiding little villages and stuff along the, uh, along the way. There's a bit of set collection element to it, but what's particularly interesting is in Takanoko, if you're lagging behind everybody else because the, la- the person in last always goes first, you can actually, if you fell way behind, you might have two or three stops before somebody else can do something to you, uh, and that's fantastic for you because you're just getting a bunch of goods, right? Right. In this game... If you're lagging in first and there are any open spaces between you and the next person when you stop, all of the goods on those spaces disappear. They're out of the game. So it, it, it kind of makes it a bit more uh, even in that respect. And it also forces you into a position where to do well, you really do have to raid. <laughs> so it's it's awesome. It's, it's Takanoko with maximum aggression. Interesting. I really liked it. I really, truly liked it. All right, Jonathan, tell me about Gloom. In space! You've just described it. It's Gloom. In space. Is it? I like Gloom. I've always liked Gloom. We've talked about it on the show before. Mm -hmm. This one's kind of neat. 
Uh, it uses a lot of sci-fi tropes in the characters and whatnot. And the you know in Gloom you put down cards and those cards are are terrible things that are happening to your characters. Yeah, yeah. So in this one, it's all the sci-fi tropes like wore a red shirt or something like that. Because they're in space. Exactly. I will say this: the mix of the deck is a bit different. There are a lot more ways to screw other people in this one, and I liked it because it, it it forces more player versus player play which makes Gloom really interesting. Nice. I like it. How about Campy Creatures? Because we talked about this one ages and ages ago, and I remember really liking the art. Yes. Uh, the art in this game could be posters. It is brilliant in every way, shape, and form. And guess what? The game is brilliant, too. It's so much fun. Uh, it fires Love Letter for me. What? Yeah. It plays super quick. Everybody has a hand of cards, uh, the exact same hand. And every round, you put one card down. The highest number card that is put down gets an opportunity to uh, steal one of four people who are revealed every round. And it's basically the monsters that are gobbling up the, the humans, right? Yes. Now, within these, there's a certain amount of set collection. For instance, teenagers uh, are worth very little alone. But if you are the one with the most teenagers, it's worth quite a few points at the end of the game. Oh, okay, so everybody has a hand of, you know, the kaiju, the beast, the vampire, etc. Exactly, exactly. But here's the trick. Every single one of those monsters also has a special power. When you take your turn, not only does the, uh, does the <coughs> number determine the order that you take survivors in, but it also gives you an opportunity to do one special thing, like cancel out another monster at the table. Or the mummy, for instance, gets to go before the kaiju, even though the kaiju is the highest number, if it's out at the same time. Oh, Okay. And so it's interesting. We played with four people and with four people, you get this point where everybody kind of has the same train of thought and two or three of the same card will come out at once. That happens quite a bit in this game. So what's, what's particularly brilliant about this game is the way they handle a tiebreaker mechanic. Uh, tiebreakers are handled by a little chart that's on there and everybody gets a chit with their logo on it. And those chits are randomly ordered at first. And whoever's on top of that stack is determined the winner of any ties. But here's the trick. Once you win a tie, you go to the bottom of the stack. There's a bunch of strategy in how you're going to time winning your tie. The game's brilliant. It plays super quick, and it's super, super fun, and I just enjoyed it so much. I really, really like Campy Creatures. I'm looking at the Kickstarter again and going like, ah, that art's great. And they added in the Demogorgon, apparently. Yes, he's a, I think the Demogorgon was a promo item. Yeah. I had the Demogorgon. He came in my box. Nice. All right, where are we at? Uh, Beyond Baker Street. So this is a game not at all it's about... It's an old mis- Z-Man game. Oh, uh, okay. I was going to make a Sherlock track, but, crack, but I, I'm too tired. It didn't come out. Have you ever played Hanabi? No. Okay, so um, Hanabi's a game. It's about fireworks. Uh, I don't know. It's so loosely themed, it means nothing. Basically, in the game, you hold your, your hand of cards facing away from you, so you don't know what's in your hand. Oh, and so every turn, you basically get to tell other people at the table a, one piece of information about their hand. Like, these three cards are blue. This, these two cards are fives. And you're trying to determine what those cards are because then you put them down in a certain order, right? Right. Beyond Baker Street takes this basic idea, expands it with a couple more gameplay elements, um, makes it fully cooperative, just like Hanabi is, but then adds an AI Holmes... So you play investigators that are all working together and trying to out-deduce Sherlock Holmes, and you're doing it by working together to, um, to solve, you know, quote-unquote clues, 
And you do that by putting cards down to uh, add up to a certain number by giving each other information about your hand. Oh, okay. It is super fun. It's a great social game that forces a lot of table interaction. Uh, and I just had a blast with it. It's a lovely game. I just like the now theme. Now I left the most interesting game for last year, Robert. You remember Consenticle? No. It was on Kickstarter a little while back. That word is fraught with peril. Yes, as is the game. This is a distinctively R-rated game. But what's interesting about Consenticle is you have to get past the subject matter. And the subject matter is a consenting relationship between an alien and a tentacled monster. (laughs) And it's it's an adult relationship. Now, once you get past the giggles, you learn a little about the designer. And the designer is a social scientist. And what the game is trying to teach and what the main concept at work here is, is about trust in a relationship and both the giving and sometimes removing of consent and how that impacts a mutual relationship because you're working together to try and get a a score that beats a a chart on one of the pages in the manual (laughs) it don't let it creep you out i thought it was really weird going into it i decided you know what i'm gonna give it a shot why not let's see it and the questions that it makes you ask yourself about consent and um relationships and physicality in a relationship are genuinely interesting i i i'm i'm looking at the kickstarter and the art and i'm I'm not getting by it right now yeah yeah the art's a thing uh no joke no joke (laughs) (laughs) but you're saying it's good so i'll 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 roll with it but yeah (laughs) you know as a game i think it's just fine i think the more interesting uh conversation there that it's a game that is forcing you to think about uh societal norms and given a lot of the recent news i think it's very pertinent i think it's an excellent tool to teach something like consent to somebody who doesn't necessarily realize it yeah i was just thinking that okay i could dig it i could dig it do you take a copy home with you Uh, actually yes i did okay cool we can add that to the pile that we won't get everything through but whatever well jonathan uh is, is that it for board games that is. There was a bunch of other little stuff, but those are the big ones that kind of jumped out at me as, as I need to talk about these. So, Jonathan, it's been a month since we last talked, and I have not really added nor removed anything from the list. Your list remains static. And uh, it will continue to remain static. <laughs> it's been a rough month. It's been a rough month. Oh. I mean, technically, I, I added almost everything on this list, but I also got a chance to play it, so that, that worked out well. Yeah, but you know what, man? It's looking good for me come, uh, come prediction season. But that is a story there for another are day. still many, many, many months, Robert. Yeah, I'm looking at this list, man. Whatever. And I'm home for the next five weekends. Yeah, but you got to play all these new games, the new hotness with your buddies. You're just going to recycle this instead of moving on. <laughs> Dale, Dale, help a brother out, buddy. Uh, all the games mentioned on this list, please play them again with with Jonathan. Lightseekers, Prowler's Passage. Oh, you didn't get Prowler's Passage. Lightseeker, Witches of the Prowler's Revolution, Passage. Raids, Gloom and Space, Campy Creatures, Beyond Banker Street, and Consenticle. Dale, I want to know your take on Consenticle. It's really important to me. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment. We will be back after just a few moments with our Wrong wisdom. Answer. Of I got. I got one less thing. I got one less thing. Oh, Home skillet. Okay. All right. All right. Go. 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 For RPG Day was this past weekend, and and uh, yeah, I went to my local game stores and got free RPGs. And uh, you know, it's really, really super sweet. 
my new place is 10 minutes away from uh, a game store called Rune and Board. So hopefully I can plant my flag there a little bit more better than I have in the past. But yeah, it's it's a nice little shop and and they had a lot of stuff there for and a lot of people playing and it was really hopping for Saturday afternoon. There you go. Competing with the farmer's market a block up the street, I might add, too. So parking was was hell, Jonathan. And there were still people there playing. How awesome was that? Anyway, cool. shout out to my homies, Rune and Board. Shout out to Free RPG Day. Shout out to Rainy Day Games. I went there, too. And I bought a copy of Animals Upon Animals, but I haven't had a chance to play it with my girl yet. I love that game. Yeah, it seems fun. It seems fun. I will probably talk about that in the next episode. But yes, we're good. All right, then. We will be right back after a quick, quick message. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by doing one of the following. You can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash fmdpodcast. We also have Facebook comments enabled for all our posts at forgotmydice.com. You can also message us or tweet us on Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us on Patreon, where we post outtakes and other bonus content. And if you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Store. Lastly, for those of you who want control to sanction the podcast, pick up your shoe phone and call Agent 82. Chief, it's acceptable to get podcasts on our wristwatches. It won't be distracting. I, I just don't even know what's happening right now. Well, it's classified, Jonathan. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Oh, we've got to get these things upgraded from the 1960s. And welcome back. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowds segment. This is our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And so much news right now. Well, we were gone for a month, too. That never helps. Yeah, well, that doesn't help. Anymore. No. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to kind of do this as a, uh, a bit of a machine gun of headlines. So why don't we go back and forth? Okay, I'm, I'm done with that. Fire away, Robert. Take us off. Okay. Uh, well, uh, over the the time we were gone, Wizards of the Coast had the stream of many eyes where they were premiering a bunch of new stuff for the, the upcoming year and whatnot. And uh, I will just start off with this. Fine, PSA peoples. Don't gatekeep. Please, please don't. Because of the streaming thing, uh, my the, the Twitter especially was full of just like... People who watch streams aren't real gamers. You know what? Yes, everybody's a real gamer. Shut up. Just because, yeah, don't gatekeep. Just stop. Let me be the first to say I never understood um, the whole streaming thing until just recently uh, when I started streaming people playing DCS while I was stuck at work. (laughs) And now I get it. it. It gives you a window into something that you love when you don't necessarily have an opportunity to do it yourself. Yeah, I've been, uh, there's a guy on YouTube who's, uh, his channel's called Geekism, and uh, he's just a, a British guy, he's got a young kid at home, he's, you know, generally polite, and doesn't like cussing, kind of reminds me of me, just, you know. But what I like about him is he generally plays uh, sim games, and he plays them with an obsessive eye to detail because he wants to make things look pretty. And I really identify with that, you know, playing the city skylines, lately he's been doing the Jurassic World Evolution and yeah, you know, I, I, I get that. It's fun. You know, I, I don't know if I, I might buy Jurassic World Evolution, but all the other stuff, I don't even I'm not part of the PC gaming master race, so I can't even play them anymore. Anyway, don't gatekeep people. Just we're all nerds. Just just have love in your heart. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, gatekeeping is just senseless. And let me just say, having just gotten back from Origins, how much it warmed my heart to see the inclusivity, not only just advertised on so many people's badges, but in motion on the floor. Uh, I just saw so many people just having fun, 
with, uh, you know, both genders very well represented and every color under the rainbow. It was fantastic. I was so, so warmed by by just the reception at Origins and, and everybody was included and welcome and it was just heartwarming. It was absolutely heartwarming. Here, here. Cheers. So, yes, that that's the, the Forgot My Dice PSA from us to you. So kick us off with news, Jonathan. Don't be a gatekeeper. Don't be a gatekeeper. Kick us off, Jonathan. All right. Well, first big news. Are you ready, Robert? Uh, I'm really tired. Possibly contact high. So no, but hit me anyway. Pop open that Steam account because Scythe has been released in digital form. <laughs> nice. On, st- on Steam? All the yeses. All of the yeses. Huh. I didn't see that one coming. I had not realized that it had gotten released. Apparently, it happened while I was traveling, and uh, I opened up the news this morning and saw that, and uh, yeah, I will be reporting in the next episode about the translation. I'm so excited. Nice. Is it my turn, Jonathan? Uh, yes, and back to you, Robert. What's yours? <clears throat> All right. My, mine is a lot of stream of many eyes news. Okay, so the new storyline for D&D that will be releasing in the fall and winter is a two-parter. The first part is Waterdeep Dragon Heist for levels one through five, and they say it will have variable goals and villains, much like uh, the uh, the Curse of Strahd. And so, yeah, it'll be running through Waterdeep and getting into hijinks and whatnot. The second part will be Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage, which will be under Mountain, and uh, it'll be from level six through 20. So they're going all the way this time. That's cool. That is super cool, actually. Yep, so there you go. Uh, I, part one will be out in October, and the second part will be out in November. And yeah, it should be quite fun. And Waterdeep's a great city. So, All right, Jonathan, over to you. Well, a little bit of sad news for uh, fans of Android Netrunner. And I know that uh, Brendan, one of our listeners, is a, a big Android oh, Netrunner yeah, yeah. fan. I, I almost put this in, but I figured you'd get it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Fantasy Flight has announced that they are uh, ending the Android Netrunner card game. Uh, apparently it has something to do with the licensing, uh, is what the article that I read said. Yeah, the uh, the card game originally came out, oh, God, a long time ago. Uh, oh, yeah, it was a Richard Garfield game. Yeah, and it came out way, like, way back like right after that. Magic. It was him trying to correct uh, an issue he had with Magic uh, and, and thinking about asymmetrical gameplay. Yeah, but, I, I remember the original one. It had some, some really crazy art, and it was totally 90s colors. It, it, it looked like the Save the Bell uh, opening credits had vomited on cardstock. Yes, that's true. And going back to our earlier point, it was set in the cyberpunk universe, actually. Yep. So there you go. All full circle. But yeah, uh, basically, they licensed those game mechanics, and the license has expired or will expire. And either I got the sense from reading things that it was like Wizards kind of wanted to take it back this time. I'm not sure what was going on. I mean, maybe with Cyberpunk 2077, they're thinking tie-in. Who knows? Well, apparently, they're going to be... Uh, they, they still have the world the world is still ffgs because yeah. they're going to be releasing some additional games in that world soon they hint they, they they already have some games out in that world i've played one of them yeah oh yeah quite a few quite a few there's a uh, android the board game from uh kevin wilson which is really good it's a weird detective mystery yeah type yeah i played game. that a, i've actually played yeah that it's fun and and they have a few novels too so yeah there, there's going to be more there's going to be more but the the netrunner part is going back to wizards all right and back to you robert what do you have next all right so this is fascinating so, uh, during the stream of Many Eyes, uh, do you remember the fine young man who played Maniac in the Wing Commander games and was one of the killers in the original Scream movie? What, Matthew Lillard? Matthew Lillard. Very good. He has... Wow, I pulled that out of my rear. Wow. Yeah. He has started up a company called Beetle and Grimm's 
uh, and they have a, a thing called the Pandemonium Warehouse. I don't know if it's Beetle and Grimm's Pandemonium Warehouse or if it's Beetle and Grimm's and then their warehouse is the Pandemonium. I'm not sure. But they have licensed up with Wizards of the Coast, and they are selling a premium edition of Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So the one through five level game. And it is going to be a big, thick box. It's going to come with battle maps, maps of Waterdeep, 20 miniatures, handouts with original artwork tied to the adventure, a screen, coins, tokens, badges, and other fun props, and, quote, so much more. And it sounds like the adventure itself will be in, in it, so you don't have to shell an extra 50 bucks just to use this box. But don't quote me on that, because I'm not sure. It just sounded like it. But you can pre-order your fine, fine, limited edition Dragon Heist box for $499 over at their website right now. Well, there you go. Yeah. Premium edition. We, we have entered the world of premium edition D&D. It is fascinating. Well, are you ready for a big, interesting step uh, into the mainstream? Mm. Carcassonne is being released on the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> and Asmodee Digital has, been, has promised that more modern games will follow it. Nice. That makes... Yeah, All of a sudden. It's, uh, that's a big step, man. That's like target level. I, I can see them doing it because of all the current console generation, the Switch is the most like a tablet, and I could see them porting stuff that works on a tablet over to the Switch. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. It's a, it's a very, very good pairing. All right, Robert, back to you. Uh, I found this uh, brought up during the stream of many eyes. Uh, apparently, in all of the recent D&D adventures, at least the ones that take place on the Forgotten Realms, at some point, you will find a black obelisk in the adventure that has nothing to do with the narrative. It is just sitting there. Uh, and it's been, you know, Storm King's Thunder, uh, Out of the Abyss, everything. Everything set in the Forgotten Realms. Something will have this black obelisk. And somebody asked Mike Merles, does this have anything to do with future storylines or future content? And he said, quote, I can't comment on that. So that's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a no comment. <laughs> yeah, sure it is. So, but yeah, a, a taste of things to come. Weird Cthulhu-esque, because they, they have a vaguely Cthulhu-esque outer realm type stuff. You know, obelisks coming to future D&D storylines some point, I'm sure. So there you go. But I thought it was interesting. found an article that pointed out where all of them were. And I was like, huh, they are all in there. I went and checked my books. Uh, are you ready for some interesting uh, fashion news? <laughs> are we a fashion podcast now? We are indeed, because there are now gaming shirts by a company called Shirts, S-H-U-R-T-S. Mm-hmm. Shirts by Shirts. Shirts and by Shirts. And they are polo shirts for gamers. And they've got all kinds of neat uh, designs that embroidered in the upper left-hand corner of the chest area of the shirt. There are um, a series of them that are around uh, different logos. So um, you've got a Cthulhu. You've got a hex board. You've got a dragon head that is uh, distinctly reminiscent, but not quite the Dungeons & Dragons dragon head. Uh, Non-copyright infringing. Non-copyright infringing dragon's head. There you go. Um, There's some cross swords. Uh, There's a, a, a spaceship. There's the uh, a biohazardous symbol, a mech, two D6s, a D20, all kinds of fun stuff. So go check them out. That's kind of a neat idea. So while you're at the club watching, sipping a mint julep and, you know, watching the uh, the polo, you can be repping the nerds out there, too, in your polo shirt. Yeah, yeah. These are, these are very nice uh, polo shirts, too. They look quite nice if you're a polo shirt wearing guy or gal. All right, well, back over to me. Wizards, during the stream of Many Eyes, said that they are going to open up two classic settings to the DM's Guild, air quotes, soon. 
as always, we wait to see if it's real soon, Blizzard soon, or Valve soon. What settings they are is unknown, but already in the guild are Forgotten Realms and Ravenloft. Uh, if I had to bet money on this, because of the Neogi and the GIF in the most recent books, I will bet Spelljammer will be one of them, which is an odd choice, but whatever. And uh, they've been working a lot on Psionics, so my money's on Dark Sun, but it also could be Eberron. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I love me some GIFs. Yeah, yeah, it's good times. But yeah, so DMs Guild will be expanding to more classic settings, which is good. because class- And they said there's going to be some sort of DMs Guild, at least product release, to get the fifth edition-ness into that. I'm not sure. They, they've been very vague, so we'll see how this pans out. But cool news regardless. And I'm out, so you can you can blow through uh, all of your remaining ones. All right. Well, a lot of digital news uh, because Santorini is coming to digital as well. <laughs> I was very close to buying that game, but I got Animal Upon Animal instead. Santorini's brilliant. I, I do so enjoy that game. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a video on the Roxley game uh, or the the Roxley Games Facebook page if you want to go check it out. It's uh, it looks neat. Looks like it's coming along quite nicely. Now, are you ready to uh, uh, put your hands on your cheeks and just go, wow, didn't see that coming? Uh, that's, a, that's a bold statement, so it better, it better impress me. Fantasy Flight has announced that they will be releasing Lando's version of the Millennium Falcon for the Star Wars X-Wing game, which recently, of course, got its second edition. You're going to have to do better than that, Jonathan. I like that ship. I like that boat a lot. Yeah, well, actually, it was kind of cool because the, it's got the, L, the L3-37 escape craft that gives it the different profile from the standard Falcon, right? I haven't watched Solo yet, so I don't know anything about that. Okay, well, there's a big attachment, and it's, it's you know, it's a ship, but it's functional portion of the ship, right? What's cool is on the model, you can detach it. <laughs> That's cool. I like it. Yeah, very cool. Super, super cool. And, of course, it's got all kinds of upgrade cards and all the standard X-Wing stuff, which is cool. Speaking of digital, but not a digital version of a game, but more a companion app to help you... Uh, Massive Darkness has released a companion app. Simon uh, has released it, I should say. And it helps you to keep track of all of your equipment and your stats on your Massive Darkness characters. And, uh, yeah, that's going to help uh, with the table space, too, because then you can just toss your, your mini down and th- the app does the rest. Yeah, that, that actually would be quite handy. I think it's great. I think it's a great, great, great companion app. In fact, I'm going to try and play Massive Darkness this weekend just to try out the app. Nice. Yes. Yes. You should try out all of the companion apps for games that you've already played, Jonathan. Please do that. I generally do. I generally Good. do. Good. Do that. Continue to do so frequently as much as possible. I know that you're saying that because you don't want me to play new games. I... Shh. I think this is the... We all know the truth. I think this is the only points I'm going to get, man, so I'm going to fight for them. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> All right, a couple more quick stories. Uh, There is an Army of Darkness board game coming. Army of Darkness, the board game, is an upcoming release from Linvender Studios and Dynamite Entertainment. And it's going to be minis-based. Nice. Hey, Dynamite Entertainment, like the comic book company that actually makes the Army of Darkness comics? Yes, indeed. Nice. They're getting into games. Good on them. Uh, I think that's cool. I think it's exciting. Much like the Big Trouble in Little China game, that will be a, pretty much an Instagram for me. Did you see that movie in the theaters, sir? Which, Big Trouble in Little China or Army of Darkness? The Army of Darkness. Yes, yes I did. Hey, now, we have something in common. Oh, we have many things in common. You you were not doing something that one weekend it was out in theaters, because it did not last long. No, it did not. Uh, there, there's a bunch of weird movies that I happen to see in theaters that, that should I shouldn't have had a chance to. Like, I saw Office Space in theaters, and if you recall, Office Space died in theaters. Yeah, yeah, I remember. 
well, if you've been listening to the show for a while, uh, you've probably heard me at one time or another talk about Shadowrun Crossfire, a, a just completely awesome deck builder uh, that no, takes place Jonathan, in the, you're wrong. The hey, you got games. you got a little gun and you shoot little BBs. It's Crossfire. No, sir. you could get in on the Crossfire. And you, you move. The this little... was a legacy game before legacy games were legacy. Games. I know we we made that joke when we talked about it originally. I just I had to scream the Crossfire song. No, again. I understand. I understand. It was a good commercial. Well, I'm a big fan of that game. A huge fan of that game. And they are actually releasing a new version of it it's the Shadowrun crossfire prime runner edition and it has a bunch of um improvements built into it to kind of help uh you know kind of even it out a bit because that game could be merciless and it's increased the player count up to five and i'm really excited about it it's uh, coming out really really soon speaking of which did you play Dragonfire, the D variant of the same game no no i have not i i need to yes you do okay and then finally, anybody who's listened to the show also knows I'm a big Legendary fan. I think it's a great card system. And Legendary is getting a new version. Uh, this is, of course, Legendary World War Hulk. And it is, <laughs> it is, yeah, it should be cool. This is actually the 16th, believe it or not, expansion for the Legendary Marvel deck building game. Okay, so you know, you know what the best part of World War, or yeah, World War, is it World War Hulk? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Core from uh you know most recently seen in thor ragnarok but he he gets introduced in the planet hulk storyline but korg comes with him during world war hulk so you korg may put an appearance in that which will be awesome that would be cool, that would be cool. <laughs> do you know what the storyline of world war hulk is not a top man oh my god it's messed up so uh so thor ragnarok was loosely based off of planet hulk and planet hulk happened basically because uh, Professor X, Doctor Strange, Namor, and somebody else kind of have the secret cabal where they decide things. And they decided Hulk was too dangerous, so they put him in a spaceship and shot him into space. He was supposed to go to a, like kind of a peaceful planet where he could just sort of live out his days, but his ship got interrupted and he ended up on Scar, and you know had like a you know a Barsoom style like gladi- gladiatorial and took over the world and found love and fought in the arenas and blah 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 and knocked up a lady. And then uh, the spaceship that he came in on, uh, it's like warp core was damaged and it exploded and like killed everybody and everything he loved. So he just made a meteorite into a spaceship and came roaring back to planet Earth and just decided to take everybody out. (laughs) That's the storyline of World War Hulk. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the news, which, of course, means that it's now time for our year in the life segment where we talk about what we were playing a year ago and talking about a year ago on the show. And uh, what is it this year? FMD twenty Happy Little Bob, which ah, is the I love that first game. appearance of the the Bob Ross game in our in our collective consciousness. Which that was a year ago, Jonathan. That's special. <laughs> Man, you know what? I have played the living daylights out of that game too. I know, me too. Anyway, uh, we- it's 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 dumb how often it gets on my head. <laughs> anyway, uh, we were ta- we talked about. We- I went to ChupacabraCon. And uh, we just talked about local cons and Chupacabra Con and all that because we got press badges, which was fun. And uh, yeah, that was fun. My uh, my my best. I, I I sort of vaguely remember everything from that con, but the thing I remember the most is the second day I uh, I got my other press badge and I gave it to my daughter and we went together and she was like my little photographer and uh, I got this sequence of pictures from Chupacabra Con, which is the most amazing thing in the world, where she's taking pictures of something that she likes at chupacabra con i think it was like uh i think it was like a stadium or something and i got this picture of her kind of just standing in this crowd taking a picture of something with her little ipad and then i've got this the next picture up is her turning to me you know with this huge smile on her face because you know she she's she was a member of the legitimate press sir 
and she was so aesthetically happy to, you know, have a job. And uh, yeah, that was a special moment, and I'll always remember it. So thank you, Chupacabra Con. That was amazing. That's one of the cool things about cons in general, the memories that you make. Those, that's, that's the best part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, you know, the games you played and the games you heard about, that may fade, or, you know, you may find something cool and it will come and go. But, yeah, you every so often you meet people or... You know, you overhear a game designer go, I'm hungry. And you're like, dude, there's a good restaurant like right up the road. I got my car. Do you want to go? And then you have a great conversation with somebody. And that 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 is the awesomeness. Well, that was what we were doing a year ago. And let me just tell you, Bob Ross continuing to hit. But this wasn't when we reviewed it, right? This is the first time we talked. Yeah, about it. yeah. My uh, my Facebook bestie, Simon Berman, announced that he was working on it. And he was at another convention talking about it. And yeah, and I, I told you about it. And we both collectively lost our cool about that game when we heard about it. We still do. I know. <laughs> it's the like, I'm not even kidding, Robert. I play that. I've probably played that game more than any other game on my in my collection in the past year i certainly believe it it's it's a surprisingly good game about bob ross it's a great game it's super easy to teach and and uh it's super easy to set up it, and that's part of the reason why it comes out all the time yeah and speaking of uh, of happy memories this podcast gave us a happy memory because now we got to remember the first time we heard about the bob ross game and it and and i i listened to that episode pretty recently and like like we had this like there there was this like fear in the back of our hearts that the game would suck and we didn't want the game to suck no how could you ever want a game to suck nobody ever wants but we were tickled pink by this game like we we wanted it to be good so bad jonathan and we were both so afraid that it wouldn't be bad like you could hear it in our voice but we were we had the hope and and it 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 delivered and just knowing that it delivered that that's the future of that story it's just it's good it's so good there you go it's so good well we will be talking about more bob ross relatively soon because i don't think it was all that that long until we reviewed it uh a couple months but yeah yeah sooner or later sooner or later that brings us to the end of this particular segment of the show and we will return in just a moment with our deep dive we've got a kind of interesting deep dive as we uh roll through the end of the year towards gen Con. yeah we invented a new deep dive topic which is awesome do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back. It is, of course, now the last segment of the show, which means it's time for our deep dive. And we've got kind of an interesting deep dive today, don't we, Robert? Yes, we do. So, Jonathan, uh, longtime listeners of ours will know about our love affair with the Diana Jones Award. We've talked about it pretty extensively in past episodes of the show. Definitely go take a listen if you are curious to learn about the history of the Diana Jones Awards. But needless to say, it's a big deal in gaming. It's kind of the biggest award of the year, and it's given at the biggest show of the year, Gen Con, which is, of course, coming right up. So it's time for us to delve into the Diana Jones Award nominees. So, uh, if you don't know the Diana Jones Award, it doesn't do any one thing in gaming. The award itself is for excellence in gaming, and they do mean anything. Anything and everything that has anything to do with gaming. Last year's winner was Gen Con itself. That's right. And the year before that was Eric Lang, 
And the year before that was, I believe, Hill Folk by Robin Laws. So yeah, they they it, it covers anything that's in tabletop gaming, anything that you could find for sale or at Gen Con, I guess, you know, or or related to things you find in sale at Gen Con. The original winner was Peter Atkinson, who, you know, former CEO of Wizards of the Coast and founder of the company and it's an award that does a little bit of everything. So, and if you want to know more, uh, just go to dinajonesaward.org because they have all their past winners and all of that there. So they released the short list of nominees. One of these will get the coveted crazy Diana Jones see-through pyramid that apparently is heavier than hell. The Wednesday before Gen Con at a local pub, <laughs> which is where they hand this thing out. Let's start taking a look at the nominees, Robert. And, and you've got the first one here, actual play. Actual play means exactly what you think it does. They're talking about Critical Role. They're talking about the one-shot podcast. They're talking about the campaign podcast. They're talking about the concept of actually playing a tabletop game. What was what's that? Tabletop on Geek and Sundry actually would count for this too, both for when they did Titans Fall and when they did uh, they do board games. But yeah, actually playing a game so other people can experience your experience with you is one of the things they're awarding and you know you know what i think we've both kind of said it before we don't necessarily get this whole streaming thing uh at least for like especially in critical roles thing with me i you know but i can't deny and i i i would i dare anybody to find i dare anybody to say this you can't deny that that streaming especially D has been crazy good for the brand like crazy oh, yeah. no, good i think it's 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 an excellent thing i I've never had a problem with this. I think this is fantastic because it, get, it lets you sh- see a game in action, which is a really difficult thing to do if you're just glancing at a review or not. This lets you see it from beginning to end with, with all of its nuances. And I, I think it's it's fabulous. I understand why people watch these streams. It, it's kind of weird, but in the actual play video gaming world, video games that are interesting to watch on actual play streams sometimes don't have game mechanics that actually make them fun games. They make them fun games to watch in a weird way. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like watching people play D anD D, like that actually plays to D anD D's strengths. Yeah, because it's storytelling, right? And I think the worst part of it is just any actual play, anything worth its salt, typically has people who are quite witty and typically actors <laughs> or or. Uh, well, I listen to two live play podcasts, and that's all they do is play a game. But like one shot is made by professional actors who are good at like speaking, and the the one shot uh, podcast is done by a, a local improv group, so they're they're pretty quick and witty. So I, I've heard people kind of disappointed that their home games aren't nearly as as interesting. I, I, I've I've seen twi- tweets about that, like that's normal, I guess. But it's just cool that you know tabletop games, like the thing that makes them interesting to watch is especially D anD D is the thing that makes them actually interesting to play. And, and not all games have that luxury. Like, I think some board games probably would suffer from that problem, too. But, yeah, especially for D&D and role-playing games, it's a great thing for them. And board games in general, because at the end of the day, if for anything else, you could buy a new board game and you could go, like, I have no concept of how to play this. And I don't want to read a manual because, you know, apparently I, I fall into stereotypes and I'm a man. Uh, so I'll just go watch a video on it. And that's way better. Actually, that's what I had to do for Small World because I could not grasp the concept of stacking. Like, I, I saw it written in the rules and I'm like, what sort of like hieroglyphics are these? I don't understand <laughs> the juju they are describing. There is a disconnect between between written rules and the actual action quite often. Yeah, I, I yeah. find that regularly. Yeah, I, yeah. so actual play is a great thing for that. So yeah, actual play is a concept up for the Diana Jones Award. Well, let's move on. Next, we have the 200-word RPG challenge. And this is kind of interesting. It's something that was born accidentally uh, just a couple years ago in 2015. And what it is, 
basically a writing contest. It encourages participants to make a complete role-playing game. The catch is you have a 200-word limit to describe your game and everything that goes along with it. The concept is 200 words as a limit encourages you to be creative and, and it really just demands the very best of your, your editing and writing abilities. The nice thing is it means that all these people that participate in this contest are actually going to finish a system, which is a whole lot more than most of us can ever say, right? <laughs> yes. Have you been to the website yet? Yeah, yeah. The website's fantastic. I, I read one of them. I think it's one of the ones that's up this year, and it is the most like grim, dark, depressing role-playing game I've ever read Like on an existential level because what you need to play it is seven pieces of paper and ashtray and matches, and what you do is you write these specific words down on a piece of paper, and then you go around as a group, and, tell, and you're supposed to be an old person uh, sharing stories at the old folks' home. And you go around and you tell stories and you're supposed to like add to each other's stories and whatnot about some somehow tying into this word. The timing mechanic is the word itself is burning in the ashtray. And when the word burns up, you've forgotten it because you're in an old folks home and you're dying and your memories are just now gone. Wow, that is really depressing. <laughs> yeah. And then you move through all the words and then you die. I mean, it's a great idea, but wow. <laughs> I know. Wow. <laughs> I know. There's it's just it's like collaborative storytelling, but there's this thing like, yes, feel your mortality burn away in front of you. It's there you so go. Grim there you I go. Well, it. that's actually a perfect example of the kinds of things that you can find here. And there are hundreds of them. I think there were over 700 uh entrants last year. Yeah, yeah, and like the top 50 all of them get posted pretty easily to find. Yeah, it's it's pretty strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I would definitely say go take a look. It's it's worth a couple reads, and some of them are genuinely interesting. The nice thing is you can read through a whole bunch of them relatively quickly. And I really appreciate that the licensing and ownership, the way they're handling that. Basically, the, the entries have to be submitted under Creative Commons, meaning that um, the creator is always going to be given credit. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. Alrighty, well, let's move right along. Analog Game Studies. Okay, so I, I've been checking out this website. So what it is, is they basically get sociologists, psychologists, uh, all sorts of behavioral experts, philosophy people, whatever. And they basically go and they pick apart tabletop culture. Uh, generally, it's more a little bit more focused on RPGs, but everybody gets uh, some stuff in there. They did a, a special video game edition. But yeah, it's basically an online psychology sociology like sciencey journal where they just pick apart behaviors and whatnot in in various forms of gaming i've read a few of the articles some of them i i honestly feel like they're overthinking it but yeah they're all kind of interesting because they're trying to tie into into like you know like philosophical thought and so, social theory and and it's it's just kind of interesting to read they they had an article the one that stood out to me is they had an article about rules lawyering and the guy was really trying to drill down in what what is it about society that creates rules lawyers and why is it rewarded even though everybody hates it. I didn't actually agree with that article, but it was still fascinating to think about because this guy like really drilled into that concept of the whole notion that it is reviled and people pick on it, but yet it encourages its creation. And uh, yeah, it was it was it's an interesting read. But yeah, they got tons of articles about that. And then every year they bind them all up in a big fancy coffee table book you can put on your coffee table and have a really weird coffee table uh, conversation piece. So over to you, Jonathan. Uh, we we talked about this a while ago. We did talk about this a little bit back on the show, and that is Harlem Unbound by Chris Spivey. Let me just say that this remains one of the most interesting 
projects I've ever seen pop up on Kickstarter just because of the style, the combination of themes. And I mean, it's a it's a Cthulhu based game, but it takes place in Harlem in the 20s, which if you know anything about American history means for a very colorful and interesting time for that that particular part of, the, of, of New York City. Yes. Prohibition is in full swing. You know, bootlegging is everywhere. There's a, a huge huge uh, influx of African-American folks that are coming from the South because of the South's oppressive nature at the time. And they're, they're, they're looking for a new life, essentially, and Harlem is one of the places that they settle. And so that, that makes Harlem into a very interesting setting, especially when you add something like Cthulhu. I think it speaks volumes uh, to the, the quality writing in this game uh, that it has been nominated like this. And I saw a ton, a ton of people playing the game at Origins. Yeah, I saw it on the shelf uh, during Free RPG Day, and I, I, I was considering getting it. It's a fascinating game, because a lot of Cthulhu stuff also tends to take place out in sort of like backwoods areas, Appalachia. Yeah. And this this puts it in, in an extremely populated area. Yeah, in, in a city. And it, and also, I, I, I didn't even know this about it, although, you know, thinking about it for 10 seconds, I probably would have figured it out. But, you know, it, it does not shy away from the racism that was very prevalent during the time. And it combines that with cosmic horror, which I, I'm like, that I could see that, but I kind of need to read this now. Yeah, it's an interesting way to address some of the social problems. Yeah. I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and like they said, uh, uh, I, I like this little blurb they have in their copy. It's an important book in that it takes games as a serious art form in which matters can be explored, plumbed, and if we're lucky, understood. Yeah. And if you like this book, uh, two of the writers, Ruth Tillman and, and uh, the main creator, Chris Spivey, they both wrote for Cthulhu Confidential for scenarios that deal with very similar themes, as, as far as I understand. So uh, check that out, too. Well, that brings us to our final nominee, Robert, and that is Charterstone, a game which we have covered rather extensively. Yes, yes, which I still haven't played, and I really, really need to. I need to get my hands on a copy. Charterstone is a legacy game. Uh, actually, we talked about it pretty extensively with uh, Jamie Stegmeyer when we interviewed him way back on episode. I think what this nod to him is more than anything is Jamie Stegmeyer in general, what he does for the, especially the board gaming public. You can't deny what that dude does because he makes, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a friggin' brilliant game designer. Like I, we, we can just get that out of the way. Um, but it's his blog is friggin' amazing because his he, blog is, is one of the greatest gifts to the, the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's very open with all of his market research and his thoughts and, uh, and most importantly with his experiences running Kickstarters and making games, like he, he, tells you how to dodge bullets because he had to figure that out on his own. And he's very open with all that information. And you, you just don't see that. Like people tend to get weird and paranoid and like secretive about, you know, these things. And he's, you know, st talk about gatekeeping. He is, he is ripping the gates off as much as he can and getting that information out there as much as he can. I, I think this is as much a nod to that as it is to Charterstone, which by all accounts is a brilliant game. Yeah. I've never, I haven't, I haven't heard anything bad about that game. Like, the only bad thing I've heard is, like, it was missing a sticker. You know, like, you, you hear about the missing parts. But, you know, I've never heard anybody describe a bad experience with that game. Well, there you go. That is your nominees for this year's Diana Jones Award. We will be sure, of course, to follow up after Gen Con so that we can have a slightly more in-depth discussion around whichever one it is that wins. Man, I'm split. I, I don't have a favorite. They're all really good. 
yeah, I've got three of the five I'm rooting for, and the other two I'm like I wouldn't be a, if they won. I would be like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, there's not a bad bad one in the bunch. Like they're all fantastic picks. Yeah, yeah, no, like, as always, man. That that award, like going through just past nominees, is fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they 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 always cover just such such a weird a weird assortment of stuff. Well, sadly, Robert, that does in fact bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast, and we will be soon to return to the airwaves, but I don't want to put a date on it since we've been encompassed by all this busyness. Yeah, I'm I'm moving soon. I'm moving yet again to a new house. I'm sorry. I like I I wish I'd warned you in 42 that my house But you didn't know. I, well, you didn't know, and that's just like I thought it would take months. I thought I'd be looking for a house well into the end of summer, but no, I'm I'm done. But it's cool. It's a nice little house. It's not even that little. It's smaller than my last house, but, you know, not by a lot. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a nice house. I'm about on the edge of Portland as you can get, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, but you know that's all temporary. Portland will grow, the edge will become the middle, and your home value will go up, and then property taxes will eat you alive. Oh, wait, that's what's happening to me right now. Ah, yeah, I uh, I went to uh, the, the game store I'm going to be near, Rune and Board, over the weekend. I should save this for my final thoughts, but oh well, I'll have to come up with new final thoughts. Anyway, yeah, and they had a they had a farmer's market, and I was checking out the farmer's market and the, the kind of the, the old downtown that they have. And yeah, the old downtown's pretty sweet. Like, you know, it, it's a lot of 1950s buildings, but they're all very lovingly kept up, and there's a lot of new businesses in there. And, you know, there's uh, food from all over. There's like, you know, I, I saw Thai, I saw Indian food. I found a gastropub for all the hipsters. So, yeah, everybody gets a little bit of something. Well, as we close out episode 43, Robert, there really is only one thing left to talk about after I ask you once more, come join us on all of our digital domains. Chat with us. There, there are so many fun things that you can have. We've actually been having some really great conversation about uh, episode notes lately on the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. So come join us on all of our digital domains. And of course, Robert, any final thoughts? I made chili today, and I'm super duper gassy. So I need to end this so I can rip one. Well, there you go. Wiser words have never been spoken. Thanks a lot, folks. We will see you in a couple weeks once we figure out our schedules with episode 44 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Until then, party on, Robert. Party on, Jonathan. Party on, Robert's ass. I, I couldn't I couldn't queue one up for that. That would have been good. Oh, what a missed opportunity. Could have gone for the cheap fart humor. It's gone now. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 